Welcome to Gear for Growth. I'm your host, Mike Mortlock from MCG Quantity Surveyors. Today, we've got a fantastic guest who's giving us his top tips in where buyers are making mistakes when they purchase property. We've got Matt Scafidi from Abode Advocacy Group. Now, Matt is a buyer's agent, but spent 15 years as a sales agent as well. So that makes him quite uniquely placed to give his insights into where buyers are going wrong. We have a great chat about the responsibilities that listing agents have to prospective buyers and how that differs with buyer's agents. He gives us some great advice on defining the rules of the game for the sales process, how offers are received, how the sales process is going to close out. He also gives us some insights into how important it is to get your valuation right, or at least the idea that you think that property is going to sell within a certain range, uh, and also gives us some insights around timing and how that can influence the sales process as well. It's a really great interview with Matt that I think all buyers, both investors and owner-occupiers, should listen to. Anyway, here's Matt. Matt Scafidi, thanks for joining me on Geared for Growth. Thanks, Mike. Great to be here. Appreciate it. Thank you. I've been uh, an admirer of your work for for quite some time because uh, prior to you becoming a buyer's agent, you were in the real estate game uh, for quite some time, some 15 years. I think you probably disclosed to me off off air that I wasn't supposed to share on air, but (laughs) you're looking pretty good, Matt. Um, Now, the topic for today is the the main mistakes that you see buyers making. Now, I think you've got an uh, an interesting perspective, having worked so long on the sales side of things. And buyers making mistakes probably would have been a good thing for you and your vendors sometimes that maybe they'll overpay. But you're on the other side of the equation now, so I think it's a good opportunity for you to to, to highlight to, to some people what are the key things that people are getting wrong that you can hopefully save them from today. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's a good point. Um, being on the other side and seeing those buyers making those mistakes from a, a sales agent perspective, uh, I, I think that the, the biggest thing, the biggest thing, and and to start with is the fact that you these buyers when they go it alone, they're dealing with uh, an experienced negotiator. Firstly, that is ultimately representing the vendor, and. Yeah. Um, I always preface this with potential clients and I say, listen, at the end of the day, if it was you, Mike, I'd say, Mike, would you, if you were being sued by somebody and that uh, that person suing you had a lawyer, um, would you go to that lawyer and ask them for their help? And yeah. they look at you and go, no, of course not. I'd get my own lawyer and I'd be represented by, you know, by that lawyer. It'd be a conflict of interest otherwise. And I say, exactly. And that's what people do and have done every day for, you know, years and years and years in the Australian real estate market, they go to agents and they ask them for help. Now, at the end of the day, um, if it's self-serving for the agents, um, they will potentially give some assistance if the buyer has a property to sell, for example, um, and they can see some benefit for them at the other end, um, then you know there may be some help coming. But often real estate agents, um, you know, I don't want to be too controversial here, but uh, I do know that real estate agents actually, they, they use buyers. They actually use buyers. Um, they might take an offer from a buyer to get the ball rolling on, on a sale. Um, and they use that buyer to leverage the next buyer and the buyer yeah. after that. 
And this is the mistake that I see so often is that buyers don't actually clarify with the agent what process they're going to use in closing off offers on a property. Yeah. Um, the most transparent approach, as we know, especially in Melbourne, is auction. Yeah. And, you know, at that time, auction um, is very transparent. You can see that he's just bid and she's just bid and she's just bid again. Um, and you're not sort of relying on the agent and what they're telling you. Whereas in a private sale scenario, sale by fixed date, um, a highest and best, all these different scenarios that go around, there is no legislation in and around that. So what we do to position our buyers, buying clients in the best possible position each and every time is to seek a clarification on how the agent is going to actually close off offers. And yep. it sounds really simple, but so many times as an agent myself, buyers never clarified that. And I could have three days to, to use that offer to garner more offers and to garner more competition. Uh, because they weren't aware that you could put time limits and everything on these offers, and um, and you know, and it's a you've got to sort of pick your mark on when you do that as well, like a, a putting a, an offer and a time frame on it as well, because otherwise you could potentially lose a good property because you're putting too much pressure on either vendor or yeah, agent. interesting. So, so you've really got to define the. The rules of the game and the boundaries, right? So if you if you you as a buyer don't uncover the fact, well, it, what we're going to do is we're going to call for offers and we might negotiate, but if it gets to five o'clock on Friday and we've got a few people, we're just going to go one one swing at the fence, you know, highest and best. So yep. if you didn't know that, you wouldn't necessarily be able to plan a, an, an eloquent strategy in the lead up to that, right? So is that a good way to uh, yeah. to put what you're talking about in layman's terms? Yeah, 100%, Mike, um, exactly that. You, you want to be able to know, do we have the last right of reply, for example? Um, a lot of agents will work on that premise where um, yeah. if we, if in a private scenario, if we give an offer that puts the property onto the market like you would at an auction, you've gone past reserve, then you would get the last right of reply. So that means that, um, you know, at that time, um, you can you can potentially go that little bit lower uh, with the offer and see whether other offers come. And, and that's where you, it's the questions that people don't ask. When an agent says you'll get the last right of reply, the next question Dion and myself always ask that agent is, put simply, is, okay, if we get the last right of reply, are you going to come back to us whether you've got a higher offer or not? If you don't have a higher offer or a better offer, are we just going to buy the buy the property on the price that we're submitting here today? Mm-hmm. And it's amazing, Mike, how often the agent's got to think about that answer. Right. And, you know, so many times they actually go, oh, no, that seems fair. That seems fair that, you know, if there's no other offers that you, you will buy it at this price. But if you don't clarify that, then you don't know. And you get into this um, scenario of, of trying to buy a property for your yeah. client and having to tip in everything that you've got just to make sure you don't miss it if you haven't clarified the rules of engagement. And that's so, so important every time, every single time. And getting it in writing as well. So we'll get an agent verbally on the phone, tell us this is well, that how. Could, 
Yeah, so, I mean that, and that could save you. Sorry, mate. You're right. It, it could it could save thousands and thousands of dollars. And sorry, we just had a a bit of an audio lag there. I'll let you um let you finish that point. That, that's it can save it can save the buyer thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, I remember Dion was negotiating uh, with an agent a little while ago, back when it was warm in Melbourne and summer, and uh, and the agent said to him, "Oh, listen, you probably need to be above one five. <laughs> and um, and Dion's question was brilliant. And I've used it since. And he said, "So you're telling me that if I submit at one four seven five, I won't buy it?" Right. And he went, um, "No, you you probably would. You probably would." So <laughs> that one question, because the agent didn't want to, agents don't want to lie. And uh, there's there's a lot of stuff out there that agents lie and all this sort of thing. They don't want they don't want to tell lies because they don't want to be tripped up and they don't want to get themselves into strife. So you know when you do ask a pointed question, um, you know they've got to, that most agents that we deal with will come back with a really honest answer. So you know the buyer at that time was prepared to go up to probably about one five five zero on that property. Um, so Dion asking that question actually saved him $75,000. Yeah, um, wow. And if we weren't clear on the rules of engagement, then we could have just had to tip everything we had in um, if, you know, it was all, all of a sudden the highest and best. We try and navigate um, the agents, how they're going to close off that suits us and fits into our, our terms better, if that makes yep. sense for our client. Yep. Yeah, so I guess if if they're still open to well, actually, I'm not entirely sure how I'm going to close this out. Yep. You can say, well, I've got a serious buyer. Like, how about we run it this way? And they might go, oh yeah, well, it seems okay. But you know that that is that is a, a, a rules of engagement that suits your situation, and it might be to the to the detriment of some competitors. Yeah, a hundred percent, exactly, exactly. We're always looking to put our client in the best possible. Um, position not only to buy the home but to buy it at the best possible price as well um, and at the end of the day um, as I said earlier you know that's that's why I believe buyers should be represented and um, and why I made the change uh, from residential real estate over to buyer advocacy because I could see that it is um, a market that is going to grow um, and it's as we said off off air earlier. It's like you know, staging a home, for example, uh, ten years ago, it was for the Turak mansions and the you know the really expensive property, um, and not many people knew about it or, or did it. Uh, and now it's whether it's a four hundred thousand dollar apartment or whether it's a four million dollar home, people get things staged. And I do believe that in the next sort of ten years in Australia, buyer advocacy will will be prominent. And people will know um, what we do and how we help. But you know, at at that time, and that's why you know it's so important to have governing bodies and everything else that uh, that keep um, that keep people accountable and making sure they're doing the good job as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, the value of a buyer's agent, I think you've already come up with some great examples uh, that sort of justify that, but I really think everyone should have someone on their side because, as you mentioned before, and I'd like yeah. to get back to that, um, the vendor. I mean, I've heard people say before, oh, we've got a we've got a real estate looking for a property for us. And I say, oh, a buyer's agent, so I know a, a local real estate agent. I'm like... The difference, I love your analogy about the, the, the lawyers. You know, there's a conflict of interest. They won't go anywhere near you. But um, in the real estate world, I mean, there are sales agents that will say, oh, you know, what sort of property you're looking for? You know, I'll add you to my database. Now, that database um, has a value, I think, as a, as a selling agent, right? Because you can go yeah. to a listing and say, I've already got 20 people who are looking for what you have. Yeah. But is there any benefit? whatsoever in being a buyer on that list is it possible that you'll get early access to certain things or is it or is it just completely one-sided listen um i've seen some people do it really really well um i've worked um you know i used to have a buyer's agent in my team and uh, whenever we listed a property it was a matter of going to all the buyers that have been through any property similar and calling them and getting them through and letting them know about it. Um, and it's a great service, but this is the problem, Mike. The fact of the matter is that if you work for ABC Real Estate, you can only give those buyers listings that ABC Real Estate actually have. Yeah. And even in some businesses, as I'm sure you're, you're across, that there's not a lot of cross-selling that goes on, even though mm. that gets promoted highly. There's not a lot of actual cross-selling within agencies as well. So um, agents don't know what other agents have got listed and, and vice versa. So, you know, the way that I always explain it is I sit there and I say, listen, you know, to a potential client, we've got over 2,500 agents across Melbourne on our database, on our CRM, and we can we can punch in the the suburbs that you're looking for and we can send them a direct text message with your brief immediately upon you know you engaging us. Um, yeah. So we get to be able to open up the entire market to them. And I'm not saying that off-market uh, properties are the only way to go. Um, you know, we I've just got it up on the board I was telling you about before. Um, this year, year to date, we're at 27.5% of the properties that we've bought have been off-market. So the thing I would say to a buyer is that you're potentially missing out on a quarter of the market that never actually lands on realestate.com or domain. And that's that's the problem I, I see and that is is solved with a buyer's agent uh, yeah, that, because it's we're a big giving gap. you access to the entire market. Yeah, that that's a that's a that's a huge subsection of the market that you don't have access to if you're not plugged in there can yeah. we can you unpack something for me with the cross selling now um i'm old enough to have been on one of those eac multi-list buses uh, in the, the past yes. and and that didn't really work for the same reason that i think cross selling within an agency doesn't always work so say for example you and i both work as selling agents for abc buyers agents i yeah. list a property and yep. you've got probably the best candidate as a buyer that's contacted you and they want to buy the property that I've listed. Now, let's say I also have a buyer and my buyer is probably most likely in second place is the most likely person to buy this property. Yep. Your, your buyer sometimes will have less of a chance than mine will have, I presume because 
if I list and sell the property, I'll get more money than if I list it and your buyer buys it. Is that the best way to understand some of the yeah. conflicts within an office? There's also another layer um, on that onion as well, Mike, and that is that if the the listing agent's buyer is perhaps a, a close second um, and they've got a property to sell as well, right? Um, then the listing agent, all they're seeing is the commission on the sale then the commission on the listing from the purchaser, right? Yep. Um, and this is what happens, unfortunately, uh, within the real estate industry at times, and that is that I've heard of agents that sit in front of a client and say, oh, well, if it was you and I and Mike was in front of the client, now my buyer is $5,000 less, but my buyer is unconditional. Um, mm. And, you know, Matt's buyer is conditional upon finance, but then they don't tell the vendors what I've told you as an agent and say, listen, they're getting their finance approved on Monday like it's yep. literally signed. Um, it's just a couple last little hoops to jump through. They'll make it out as if they've still got the whole process to go. So if you want to risk subject to finance for $5,000 more, Mr. and Mr. Yeah. Vendor, yeah. that's fine. But my recommendation would be take my buyer at $5,000 less that is going to give me the trade-in and another listing Mm. Um, and don't worry about mats. That's it's, yeah. It's it's sad to think that that exists because they have a fiduciary responsibility to the best outcome to the client. But this is this kind of this is what the whole Freakonomics books are about. It's the incentives, right? Like what what value are, are they getting? So for for someone that's trying to not get themselves on the wrong side of that equation is is some advice to say always contact the listing agent because they're more likely to be in control of the flow of events? Yeah, 100%. Listing agent will always um, have a massive amount of control over how the property is sold. He's, he or she has got communication directly with the vendors um, and can choose to give information or leave out information that benefits their ultimate goal. And we used to have a saying, you know, when we when, when we started in buyer advocacy, Mike, that we used to say to clients, listen, agents work for the vendor and we work yep. for you. We've now changed that. We say, listen, agents work for themselves first, then very closely they work for their vendors second. And there's there's a long distance between working for you uh, from there and, and a lot of agents will say they'll help buyers and everything else and they do there's a lot out there that do um, but as you said uh, in relation to the way commissions and uh, structures are set um, it doesn't it, it doesn't set it up for fair play a lot of mm. the time yeah so, that, mm. and that's yeah I, that's some great insights from you Matt and it's something that I don't think many people would understand that it's, it's a each listing could be a political game 
within a particular office, right? And you, I mean, here you are just trying to transact on a property and you don't necessarily know the undercurrent and maybe you call up the office and it's a sales agent that doesn't have the listing that says, oh, yeah, I'm happy to show you through or yeah. you'll be my client. Yeah, I've got an yeah. asterisk or I've got my initials against you, so it's my sale if you buy it. Yeah. It might be the wrong person to be speaking to. That's really interesting. What yeah. else? Um, what else do you think uh, buyers are really getting wrong when they're trying to make a, a transaction, when they're putting their offer together, or how early does it start? The Give for Growth Property Investing Podcast is presented by our business, MCG Quantity Surveyors. If you're an investor or a property professional looking to get the best tax depreciation deductions for yourself or your clients, please get in touch with us at mcgqs.com.au. It's our mission to help as many property investors as we can to maximize their claims and maximize their property education as well. Um, I, list, I really think that the buyers get... Um get value wrong of property they get value wrong all the time and this is where we come into play as well as as in our field of what we do Uh, because the agent will say that it's quoted one to one one and you know we often will look at called core logic or land checker or whatever we're checking to do our due diligence and we'll see that the property sold for one two like three years ago yeah. Yeah, we're quoting one 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 one, and mm. you know this is where buyers make the mistake of putting all their eggs into one basket on this home that is beautiful. It it, it hits their brief perfectly, um, and it's just in the location they want. It's got everything that they're looking for, except it's actually worth one point four or one point five million dollars. Yeah. Um, and we had a client. Uh, earlier in the year, again, again, when it was warmer in Melbourne. And um, and we took them through a property that an agent was getting photographed and we managed to get them in early and it ticked everything they were looking for and they had a budget of $1.9 million as a max and yep. it had to be turnkey and ready to go. They were prepared to pay that one nine on this property that was being quoted one seven or one eight. Um, we walked through it. We went away, we did a little bit of homework and we came back to the clients and we said, listen, we, we believe it's probably going to sell um, in excess of $2 million. So right. I don't think that this is the one for you. Uh, you know, if they were, and they've told us since, if they were by themselves, they would have put all their eggs in that basket and they would have just waited for that auction to occur. And when that auction did occur, um, the property sold for $2,206,000. Right. Right, so nowhere near where it was three hundred thousand dollars above their the, yep. their absolute max. But in the meantime, what we had done is we'd a property that we put forward to them, which they had discounted because they had all their eggs in the basket of this other one. Yeah, um, we actually went through that uh, in a midweek open. We rang them from the open. We said, "Listen, you need to come and have a look at this property. This this property fits everything that you're looking for. It allows you to be able to put your own touches on it and everything else. And it's going to be cheaper than the other one." Anyway, they came along on the Saturday, and um, and the agent. And this is another little fun fact. It's always interesting to find out from agents what's happening, what they're doing, and everything else. And he was he was going going away on holiday on Sunday. I said, "But you got the auction for this next week." 
said, yeah, yeah, but I've got a colleague doing it and, you know, but if you can get me an offer, happy to do it today. And I know agent psychology, they don't want other agents to be doing the auction because if a potential seller sees that person doing that auction, well, they, they stress and they worry. They're very, very panicky people, real estate yeah. agents. They, they think that they're going to miss out all the time. And at that time, um, I thought, okay, well, we can potentially buy this property prior. And uh, we ended up buying it um, that Saturday when we got them through. It's that Saturday night, about 7.30, 8 o'clock, we got contracts exchanged and it was all done. We bought it for $1.6 million, so $300,000 less. Yep. Um, and it was in a better area, better location. It suited them much more, you know, but it wasn't turnkey. There was a few things they needed to do. Yeah. Um, and they were so pleased because the auction for the other one wasn't until the week after they bought that. And I mm-hmm. rang them and I said, what do you think the other one went for? And I said, two, $2 million 206. And uh, they said, the first thing she said to me was, so if we had waited like we wanted to and not listened to you, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have had this home and we would have missed out on that home as well. That's mm. the biggest mistake I see people doing is putting all their eggs in one basket at a value and believing the quote and not asking the agent how many how many groups did you have through the first open for inspection. I had one just last week. I asked the agent how many groups through. 85 groups. Wow. It went from 2.6 to 2.7 to 2.7 to 2.9. And the agent told me that, yeah, we'll definitely crack the $3 million, $3 million mark. Yeah, wow. It. So straight away, my buyers are out. Let's not waste our yep. time on property we can't buy. Yeah, that's that's a great advice, uh, great advice, and a and a great story too. And uh, I think a, a cautionary tale for people because had they have had the eggs in the basket, they wouldn't have been in that position where there was an agent about to go on holidays and wanted things closed up, and maybe yeah. that influenced the value. He, they would probably say no. You would probably say yes. But who, who's to know? Had they not got either of those, that the next property that pops up suitable was going to be a week later it could have been months later the market could have moved so there's yeah. all all sorts of opportunity costs in there as well right yeah 100 percent. and um you know as i always say to our clients we say no to more homes than we say yes to um yeah. it's not it's not a mad rush to get our, our clients bought um but when we find the right one we will we will push reasonably hard um, to make sure they don't miss out on an opportunity. Um, we had a client just last week that bought a property off market. The forthcoming auction went up, board went up. Um, they sent it through to us because they were driving around, as buyers do, driving around the location they wanted to be. Uh, rang the agent, um, got through at midday. Uh, that was in the morning we got it, got through in midday, um, got, the, got our clients through at 4 o'clock that day. Uh, they had um, a birthday party that they were going to go to, and I said, "No, you, you've got to be late for that. You've got to come to this." Mm. Um, they came. We offered on it. We secured it on uh, that was Monday. Secured it on Tuesday, um, and it's the perfect home for them. And you know, I said to them later, I said, "Listen, I know it may have felt a little bit rushed, but we didn't want this property to go to, you know, the market." As such, go to other yep. advocates, go to everything else. We we were on the front foot. We were we didn't compete with anyone else, and we secured it at a price that I feel um, was was really good value for our clients. Yeah, yeah, some great timing in there, and as yeah. you say, with so much of it being 
off market and opportunistic opportunistic base you've you've got to be ready to to strike when those opportunities arrive matt i think uh we probably need to turn this into an additional episode later on but uh thank you very much for sharing uh all of those insights into where you see buyers getting it wrong i think it's some great education for people in there um that hopefully will save people from having uh terrible cautionary tales themselves so thanks very much for sharing that absolute pleasure thanks for having me and uh yeah happy to come back anytime awesome cheers matt thanks mom